Dear listener, we hope that you've been enjoying the variety of podcasts that we have on our network. Now is your opportunity to help us by telling us a little more about you. Please visit jcastnetwork.org survey and complete our listener survey so that we can learn more about you and your listening habits. Again, please visit jcastnetwork.org survey. Thanks so much. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. One of my favorite parts in the Torah portion today, uh, Parshat Vayeshev, uh, comes toward the beginning. It's a very... Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. It's really, you know, in terms of what you have in the book of Genesis, it's probably as close to a novella as we have in the book of uh, Genesis, the whole saga of Joseph. And so it's an extraordinary story. It spans uh, several parashiyot, and we're at the very beginning of that saga in this week's parsha. But we know about Joseph, uh, that uh, he is not the best brother to his brothers. Uh, he's beloved of his father, Jacob, uh, the most beloved of all the sons. And the sons uh, recognize that fact. The other brothers recognize that fact, uh, and, uh, and, and maybe not so secretly despise him for that fact, uh, and, uh, and he has these dreams about how he's going to rule over his brothers, they're all going to bow down to him, which increases their hatred of him, and one day, we're told, the brothers are out tending uh, the flocks of their father uh, in, uh, uh, we, we um, uh, find out later in, in a place called Dotan, uh, and Jacob sends Joseph to go and check out what's going on with his brothers. We don't really know exactly what he sends him to look for, to, uh, but he goes and uh, tells him to go and, uh, and, and, and spy, check out what his brothers are doing with the sheep. And so Joseph goes, but he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know where his brothers have gone tending this flock. So he's wandering around, he's looking for uh, his brothers, and all of a sudden, a man appears. The Hebrew is bin sa'ehu ish. He found a man. And he was working, wandering in the fields. And so the man went up to him and said, What are you looking for? And Joseph answered, I am looking for my brothers. Can you please tell me where they are pasturing? The man said, they left from here, they've gone from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dotan. So Joseph followed his brothers and found them in Dotan. And if you're familiar with the story, you know what happens there. The brothers see him from a distance, and before he has a chance to reach them, they hatch a plot. They first devise a plot to uh, kill him, and then Reuven, the oldest brother, intercedes and says, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in one of those pits that, that are around here. Uh, and, uh, and eventually they kind of work it out among themselves that they're going to uh, sell him to a band of uh, Midianites that are coming by. We learn from that that eventually he goes uh, gets sold into slavery in Egypt, uh, while the brothers bring a bloody, his bloodied cloak, they slaughtered an animal and, and dipped the cloak in some blood, his coat of many colors, and brought it back to Jacob to tell Jacob that he had died. So that's, and then from there, Joseph goes down to Egypt, he becomes uh, a servant in Potiphar's house, 
Uh, he, uh, uh, Mrs. Potiphar has eyes for him. Uh, in a turn of events, he gets thrown in jail. In jail, he meets uh, Pharaoh's uh, cupbearer and baker, uh, interprets dreams for them, gets brought, we learn, to Pharaoh to interpret some of Pharaoh's dreams, and does such a good job interpreting Pharaoh's dreams that Pharaoh appoints Joseph to be uh, uh, the grand vizier, the chief, uh, the second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. A turn of events that eventually leads to the enslavement of all of the children of Israel in Egypt, some generations generations later, uh, which leads us to the story of Passover. So this is a sort of uh, middling scene in our parsha this week, a sort of uh, throwaway kind of scene. The man in the scene isn't even named. We don't even know who he is. He was uh, presumably just some guy that Joseph happened to run into. But had Joseph not run into that guy, and had not asked him about uh, where his brothers were, he would never have found his brothers. His brothers wouldn't have seen him. They wouldn't have hatched the plot to sell him into slavery. He wouldn't have gone down to Egypt. Had he not gone down to Egypt, he wouldn't have become second in command to Pharaoh. Had he not become second in command to Pharaoh, he would never have uh, uh, brought his brothers and father to Egypt. Had he not brought his brothers and father to Egypt, uh, the Israelites would never be enslaved there generations later, and there would be no exodus from Egypt, there would be no Sinai, there would be no Jewish people. We'd have no Dayenu. We'd have no <laughs> What this scene reflects to me is how easily our lives can be utterly transformed by unpredictable and perhaps somewhat mundane experiences. I was thinking about that a lot over the past couple of days. As uh, many of you know, I mentioned before, um, I was in a, uh, a very scary and serious uh, car accident on Thursday. Uh, I was uh, driving home from Beth Shalom on John Rolfe Parkway, and uh, some guy was driving down uh, uh, Gayton uh, at uh, full speed, and uh, I went through the light, and uh, I didn't see him coming, and I guess he didn't see me, and... Uh, slammed into the side of my car, sent my car flying, I landed upside down, airbags deployed, the whole, the whole bit. Um, fortunately, I'm here, and I'm standing, I'm able to talk to you. Yeah. A Subaru. It was a Subaru. Um, I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, uh, and it, it was not how I planned my day to go. Um, I, I, you know, knew I was, I was coming back to synagogue, I was going to do a little bit of work, follow up on some emails, and, uh, uh, and, and then uh, go on a date night with Adira that, that evening, uh, and none of that ended up happening. And fortunately, I was able to walk away and, and live to tell the tale about it. Amen. But it could have easily gone the other way. And so it, it struck me, much like in this Torah portion, that these unpredictable and unforeseen events can befall any of us and radically alter and change our lives. So the question then becomes, and the awareness I, I had uh, in, in the you know, hours following that and the, days, uh, the day or so following it, was how do we live our lives with that awareness? How do we live our lives with the awareness that we could have a chance encounter that could change our lives radically for good or for ill? How do we live with 
the knowledge that we could just be driving back to work one day and our lives, our families' lives could be utterly upended? How do we deal with the fact that though I hope and pray that uh, each everyone here lives a long and full life and, uh, and goes peacefully uh, in their sleep at the age of 120, that that's not always the lot that befalls many of us. And many of us are torn away from our lives and from our loved ones in a flash, in a, in a heartbeat. Uh, and we aren't able, always able to predict what or when that's going to be. Um, and how it will all play out. And so it struck me that there was deep Torah here. Our, the rabbis of the Mishnah say that a person should do tshuva, repent, uh, one day before his or her death. And the rabbis of the Talmud comment on that. And they say, but how can that be? Not everybody knows exactly when they're going to die, God forbid. And the answer that comes back is that for that reason, everyone should do tshuva every single day. You don't know when your last day is going to be. Everyone should do tshuva every single day. What awakened for me in that moment is that uh, I, each of us, have a choice about how we want to live our lives. We can live our lives in the, in the hope, in the um, blissful unawareness of the reality of our mortality and the reality of the the sudden turn of event that could change our lives inalterably. That's one choice. And the other choice is to live our lives as if this moment today is going to be our last. Now, that doesn't mean that we should all go out and go skydiving tomorrow because what the hell, right? We should be reasonably... uh, uh, um, prepared uh, to, to be safe and to keep ourselves secure. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think that that's a mitzvah as well. And so, you know, I, even though this is sort of part of the lexicon and, and I use the language of, um, of thank God and of, and of miracle and things like that, uh, I, I don't think that uh, a miracle happened to me. Um, and I do thank God, but not for the reason that you might think. Um, I, I don't believe, and I have trouble believing, that God swooped down from the sky and said, this one I'm going to save. I can't believe that because my wife works for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and deals every day with beautiful children who are stricken with life-threatening diseases for no discernible reason. Some of them survive, thank God, and some of them don't. And so I can't relate to a God that for some reason would choose to swoop down and save me from a nearly fatal car accident, but not swoop down to save somebody who I would think is more deserving or at least more innocent. I can't live with that kind of God. So what kind of God do I believe in? What, what do I, where do I think God's role is in what happened to me? And I think God's role is in several places. God's role is in the... Torah that I learned that life is precious and worth protecting and we should take reasonable steps to keep ourselves safe. So I put my seatbelt on. I bought a Subaru. (laughs) And God works in the uh, minds and the uh, intellect and ingenuity of the engineers of that car that when uh, it's hit the way my car was hit, 
uh, it will uh, uh, it, it will absorb the impact in the way it absorbs the impact, and the car will take all the damage and protect the driver and passengers inside to the best of its ability so that we wouldn't be hurt, so that I wouldn't be hurt. So God is present in that. And God is present in my understanding of the event and what I do moving forward from it. So later in the Joseph saga when he reunites with his brothers, every, it's a tearful reuniting, everybody is overjoyed, everybody is celebrating, and, uh, uh, but maybe even sad because they felt uh, guilty, obviously, for uh, the situation that Joseph found himself. The situation in which Joseph found himself. And Joseph says to his brothers, don't be upset. Don't be saddened. For it was for it was for the purpose of saving life that God sent me down to Egypt. Now, I don't necessarily think, I mean, it may be true that the authors of uh, this passage in the Torah, this part of the Torah, believed in that kind of divine providence. That literally all of the events of jo- Joseph's life were orchestrated by God and governed by God so that, that it would work out the way it worked. That's, of course, one way we could read the story. But another way, I think, of reading the story, is that Joseph had time to process what had happened to him. To say, I couldn't necessarily control all of these events that happened to me. But given where I am now, and given what has happened to me, given the experiences I've had, and given the options and opportunities that lie ahead of me, I can see what God is pointing me to in this moment. And in this moment, God is pointing me to the possibility that I might be able to save life. So did God literally send me here in order to save life? Maybe, maybe not. But the way I understand God is that God wants life saved where life can be saved. And if I find myself in a situation in which I can save life, that is God telling me that God has put me in that situation in order to save life. And when I find myself in a situation where I could have lost everything where God plays out for me and where God speaks to me, where God is for me in that moment is in my understanding of the road that lies ahead. That God's voice says to me, you were lucky that you were wearing your seatbelt and you were in a safe car. Make sure to make that choice again. Make sure to be aware of what's going on around you when you're driving a car to the extent that it's possible for you to be more aware than you were. And make sure that you know that everything can change in an instant. And to be prepared for that possibility by living your life right now the way you would want to live it if you didn't know if you were going to be here tomorrow. Hug your kids and your wife before you leave, your, leave the house. Make sure to not leave them before telling them you love them. There's this wonderful book that I recommend to everybody called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. I just want to share with you really the table of contents. Because these are the five things a palliative care nurse discovered that most of her patients expressed regret for on their deathbeds. Regret number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. How tragic would it be if, God forbid, 
you weren't here tomorrow. And every moment up until that point, you were living the life that others wanted you to live, not the life that you wanted to live for yourself. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had spent more time and taken more care of the people who matter most and are closest to me. And not thought that what was expected of me was to spend every waking hour advancing my career and pleasing my employers. It's not saying don't work, but don't work so hard because there are more important things in life. Regret number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. If, God forbid, you weren't here tomorrow, would you have left everything out on the field? Would you have left everything on the table? Would you have shared what was in your heart, especially with those closest to you? Regret number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Each day, have you cared for your relationships? Have you devoted time to those who are closest to you? What matters more in your life? Making that additional dollar, that additional bonus, or nurturing your friendships? And regret number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. We, there is a lot of wisdom in this book. I recommend it to everybody to read. Right? I wish I had let myself be happier. That one might seem kind of tough, but I think a lot of us uh, don't always let ourselves be as happy as we can. Either we think we need to delay happiness in order to uh, achieve some momentary goal, and so we'll say, okay, well, we, we can be happy when we retire, but right now i got to hunker down and work hard to save enough for retirement so later I can be happy. Or we say, I don't deserve to be happy. Every day. Right. Right. So Helen is a living embodiment of this wisdom, right? That we have the capacity to allow ourselves to be happy. And not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring, we have the capability right now of living the life we ought to and want to and deserve to lead. So I just want to close with this poem that um, has always been very meaningful to me. I think it underscores the message I wanted to send and what I've been reflecting on for the last going on close to 48 hours. The poet is Mary Oliver. And she says, When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse, to buy me, and snaps the purse shut. When death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And I look upon time as no more than an idea. And I consider eternity another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular. And each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom 
taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing or frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. The Torah we learn from Joseph. The Torah embodied by that beautiful poem by Mary Oliver. Is that each moment we encounter is an opportunity to live our lives in a way that's authentic to us and as fully as we possibly can. Because we don't know when that hungry bear will come. We don't know what the next moment will bring. And we don't want to find ourselves wondering if we have made of our lives in that moment something particular and real. We don't want to find ourselves sighing or frightened or full of argument. We don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Let us live each moment as a bride married to amazement. As a bride taking the world into my arms. Then each moment will be a miracle. And each day a blessing. Shabbat Shalom.